0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. And allow me to just give a little one word about the the Christian theology. I have taught this for many years. And um, in, in one of the church that I had served interning, up in Boston, Cambridge area, it was to serve like, it was smack between Harvard and MIT. I used to way over-prepare my lessons, and over the years, I have condensed it, systematized it, but I recognize the common questions that students ask. How can we trust the Bible, right? Isn't it hand-copied? There are so many questions that people ask pertaining to how can we have the confidence in the Bible that we have, And I want to share how you can have that confidence. For people, people who ask that question are the ones who really haven't read the Bible. And just from the outside in, they're looking at it with skepticism. But to those who have studied, I can give you the resource. I can tell you why you can have absolute confidence in the Bible we do have. And then there are the other questions like, what about the dinosaurs? You know? Aren't some of these things like fairy tales? Uh, Evolution. I will talk all about that in creation account. There are so many things to what we believe in the church, and for outsiders, they come with skepticism and they just don't believe in it, so they don't want to hear it. But to those who have studied can have absolute confidence, and this is why I teach what I teach. It's not to uh, teach just for the sake of having classes, but I have learned over the years that Questions that come up from one city to the next, from one church to the next—they're all the same. And so I love the Q and A's at the end of this, these classes because this is where people are able to bring up, "Hey, this is what I don't understand," or "This is what I, what you know, I have concerns about." Can you, you know, elaborate? And that's when it comes alive. So I welcome you guys to sign up, and if you have questions. Encourage your friends to sign Encourage your friends who have those questions, right? Anything related with the Bible. Why we believe the things that we believe as a church, as Christians. So that's my encouragement to you. We're continuing in um, the book of Joshua. But we arrive today at a very familiar passage, okay? The walls of Jericho. Who in here have never heard that story? Never, right? Like, If you have been, even just the nominal Christians has occasionally come to church, but if you have, you heard about the walls of Jericho story. And so it's such a familiar passage that it poses a challenge to pastors like me that because as soon as I preach on some subject that is familiar, people are like, oh, I know that story. And they turn off because we think, I know that story. But have you ever considered, like, different perspective? Like, okay, you know the story of the walls of Jericho. But have you considered, like, why Joshua, a general to lead an army, would listen and obey such ridiculous strategy of pacing around the city without weapons? Or have you considered even perspective of their enemies, people in the city watching these fools walking around blowing their trumpets? Right? Why did Joshua even obey? And and so I want us to look at this text and ask, what were they thinking? Why did Joshua obey? And what can we learn from this text? So that's the objective. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Joshua chapter 6? Joshua 6, I'll read from verses 1 through 5 from the English Standard Version for you. But I always welcome you to bring your own Bibles, make your own markings, and follow along with me. Joshua 6, 1 through 5. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel, none went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now this was the word of God. And... It's craziness, if you really think about it. Here's the background setting of the story. The city of Jericho, in hearing about the Israelites who had just crossed over the Jordan River and entered, they are hearing all kinds of stories. First of all, when they were in the wilderness, the miraculous stories of pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, uh, the kings of other cities being taken because God was with them this Israelites, Hebrews, and they had crossed over the Jordan because miraculous, it was high water, water stopped, and they crossed over on dry ground. People are scared. People in Jericho had heard about the spies. They heard about the Israelites, and now that they have crossed over, millions have crossed into their land, and they're ready to take Jericho. The city is completely closed off. No one was going out in, and this is like where I'm thinking about the movies, like not necessarily Gladiator, but you, you know what I'm talking about, this big castle with water around, there's only the drawbridge, right? And in order to attack this high wall, you have the battling ram beating down the doors or the, the big ladders for the people to climb over. Now, this is where way too much movies come into play, <laughs> my imagination just floats around. But no one was going in and out of Jericho. That was a setting. That was a situation. They were getting ready for war. The attitude. And and the Lord spoke to Joshua and he said this. Look at this. They're locked in. I have given them, given you the city, the king and the men of valor, the mighty men, the army. They're afraid of you. Do you guys know that before you engage in war, before you engage in battle, you know, who's, most people know that who wins. Most know, right? I remember back in, uh, in the mid to late 80s, 90s, remember Mike Tyson was like the at the peak. I don't know if some of you young people remember Mike Tyson. But when he was reigning champ, There was no one who could even compare or come close to his competitiveness. We're talking late 80s, before he got lazy. He would come in. Yeah. If you have ever seen those fights of the old, it was craziness. And I remember some of the highlights were some of the pay-per-view. There there was like 20 of us in the living room, pay-per-view, getting ready to watch a fight. And when the competitors came into the ring, you knew who was going to win. You knew. Why? Because there was whoever Mike Tyson was fighting against. They would come in, and you saw fear in their eyes. It was crazy. It was like, oh, my gosh, they're already defeated, and they haven't even rang the bell. You knew they were going to lose. There were guys who didn't want to fight. They had to fight because there was a contract. They needed the money, whatever. But they knew they were going to lose. Then here's Mike Tyson. He jumps right in, bobs in, smaller, shorter, right? But he came with such confidence and authority, and he knew he was going to beat him. Usually first round, but usually almost always less than four rounds. Because he whacked him, and you saw the competitor running away. They were fighting not to win. They were fighting so that they don't get beat up too much. You guys know what I'm talking about if you've seen those fights. fighting (laughs) Fighting to survive. Jericho was in that place. They were locked up. They didn't want to fight, but they didn't want to lose too bad. That was a setting. And God was like, Joshua, look at this. I have already given you the king and the people. And the way he said that, and this is the nerdy talk, Cal Perfect, in the Hebrew, it says, I have already given. And that tense is perfect tense, meaning it's done. It's good as it's done. And so, and so the Lord gives them this strategy. It says, take up your people. Seven priests with seven trumpets leading the ark of God six days march once. It would take about three hours. I forget the year. It was like 100 square miles. About three hours march each day. Once perimeter. On the seventh day, seven times around. And then they blow of the horns. And then he said, shout with a great shout. And then the walls would come down. Now, Imagine if you were Joshua. You hear the strategy. What about the swords? What about the ladders? What about none of that? It's not an ordinary military strategy. Now, if you were Joshua and you heard maybe craziness of this strategy, how would you respond? Yay, Lord, or um, what about this? And, and I imagine this is, this is my thing. When I hear, I think I'm a great follower to a great leader. But when I th- see a leader who I think is maybe senile or not in his full wits leading in his strategy that is bringing the country down or whatever it may be, I would question Are you capable to lead? I would question, and I would offer up a better strategy because that's my pride, and that's my analytical thinking. That's my nature. I'm not saying that's the right way, but I'm just saying that's how I would respond. Yet Joshua, who is fully capable, knowledgeable, able, doesn't question God in this crazy strategy. And I lead you to ask, why? Why did he obey to craziness? Because if you remember, when Moses was called to lead his people, Israel, out of Egypt, and God caught him in in, in that burning bush and having the conversation, I want you to go into Egypt and bring my people out and said all these things, Moses gave every excuse why he could not. He was like, Lord, who am I? should go over there. They're going to go, who do you think you are that you are calling people free? And God says, I'm sending you. But I stutter, Lord, Then I'll give you Aaron. But Lord, I, he gave every excuse why he could not, and God's like, I'm still sending you. Joshua, on the other hand, he obeys. It leads me to think, one, the reason Joshua obeyed was one, he had greater faith as a second generation faith leader. Moses was the first generation. Okay, what Joshua didn't see in the burning bush was that lack of faith. But what he saw Moses doing was listening to God and seeing the supernatural and miraculous. And when by the time Joshua started following Moses, he saw who God was. He saw he was God of his word, his faithful, he is full of faith and promises and what he says happens and it's good as done when you listen to God. He grew up following in the leadership of Moses and when now that he is in position to lead, he he has a greater faith than even Moses because he doesn't question who God is. Joshua had greater faith as a second-generation leader after Moses. Because the Lord says, I have given you a promise. He says, see, I have given Jericho into your hands, and the kings and the men of valor, they are frightened of you. And God also promised him in Joshua 1.3, he says this, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. So if God promises every place your feet, your souls touch, I'm giving to you, what do you do? You march around that city. You take that walk because what God promises, I'm going to take this perimeter because God said, I'm going to take that walk. You guys with me? Joshua remembers the promise. Joshua remembers how faithful God is. And he says, I'm going to take that word. And obey, because I have the faith that God is who he says he is. Faith, and I, I, this is my definition. This is the Hebrew. Hebrew word for faith comes from the same word as amen. Amen is truly, verily, it is I'm in agreement. And when we use have faith in God, you are coming into agreement with who God is, what he says, what's happening in the heavenly realms. And you are coming into agreement to that. And Joshua was like, I'm coming into agreement yeah. to your promises. It's interesting, because obedience, I think, is such a misunderstood word in our uh, 21st century Western American church today. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because obedience, especially American church, I grew up rebellious, rebellious teen, and I thought obedience was not cool, because if you're cool, then you're rebellious. And obedience is defined this way, is as dutiful or submissive compliance to the commands of one who is in authority, okay? Dutiful compliance or submissive compliance of the one who is in authority. And Americans, from my ob- observation, because this is how I grew up, I know I look Korean, but I'm as American as they come. I'm, <laughs> Don't let my accent fool you. I'm just saying, I'm as American as they come. Dutiful obligation is to say, I am going to submit and do this because I have to. It's to obey God just as Jesus fulfilled the law is to obey the law and we don't even like to obey the law because i know how you guys drive (laughs) but in the church we talk like this jesus fulfilled the law he dutifully fulfilled the obligations of the law by dying on the cross for our sins therefore we don't have to right That's the truth. I'm believing that. But because we say we don't have to obey the law, it sounds like we are free to do whatever we want. It sounds like that, but that's not what it is. Taking obedience further, it's not just about dutifully obeying, but willingly obeying. Submissive indicates that we yield our will to God. We yield our will, our desire, not necessarily because we are required, but because of who we say God is. The problem is that we struggle to recognize the authority that God has. We say He is all authority. He's all-powerful, He's all-loving, but obedience does not always uh, relate with duty, but willfully love. Jesus said in John 14, 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. Jesus was alluding that there is a relationship between obedience and doing His word. Okay, his call, what he's teaching, to the love that people have for him. If you love him, you're going to do what he says. If you don't, you're not. Yeah. Easy, easy lesson there. And we relate that because I can say, hey, I love my wife. But if I keep doing things that, to annoy her, that hurts her, that's not love either. She may not, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's amening to that. <laughs> Amen, brother. okay moving on (laughs) so joshua obeyed one because he had greater faith as a second generation leader but two he recognized who led the fight he recognized who led the fight it was God himself. Just in the chapter 5, in Joshua chapter 5, last week, we talked about the commander of the Lord's army, right? And that commander is prince, can be translated as prince of the Lord's army. It's the one who has the authority that can say, I make this dirt holy. He's the one who goes, take off your sandals because the ground that you are standing on is holy. Who have said that except God himself? Who has the authority to make dirt, ground that you are standing, holy? God himself, and I said this is my opinion, and many theologians agree with this, is that it's Jesus pre-incarnate. If it's Jesus coming to leading this pack, this nation into the city, fulfill his promises, then it's not Joshua leading. Joshua knows who's leading him and his people. And if God is leading you, What do you do? You obey and you worship. Obedience can be worship. Obedience ought to be worship to God. But if God is leading you, you follow. It's simple. If God is leading you, you worship him. Simple. Now, when we look at seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, there's a lot of sevens there. I should say this seven times just to get, so we get it. But number seven in the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, reveals a symbol of completeness, wholeness, or perfection. God's like, take seven priests, seven trumpets, and walk for seven days. Not an ideal military strategy, but it was perfect. It may not be what you create, but it's God's Perfection. Walking and pacing around the perimeter of the city was an act of faith to God's promises. Again, Joshua 1:3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I give to you, just as I promised to Moses. And if the Lord promised this land, you pace to conquer. You pace and walk around to say, I am claiming the ground that the Lord has given. I don't know if you guys ever done prayer walks. Who in here have done prayer walks know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you. Prayer walk is not, hey, let's go shopping and see what we have and pray occasionally. It's prayer to claim the grounds of the very place that you are in as a missional intention. Last time I remember where I first learned prayer walk was in India. India, oh my goodness. So India. India Indians, <laughs> in Hinduism, they believe over 30 million gods or 300 million gods. It's something ridiculous. Uh, they have God for everything and even God for unknown, just so that they don't miss out on anything, any gods. But it's like every insect, every creature, everything they have. And they have idols for all of these things. And they even mix it up, like with monkey head, with man's body, temples and craziness. I've seen people kiss a butt of a cow walking because it's so sacred to them craziness. So within that city with false idols rampant and the whole atmosphere of that ground, we were prayer walking. And if we were to try to evangelize, we would probably be arrested because our missionaries that we were supporting were often arrested for trying to evangelize. So that's the setting of the place that we were in. And so as a missional team, we were asked to prayer walk. We were sent out in teams and we just said, As the grounds that we are stepping on, we are proclaiming, prophesying that God's presence, God's authority is regained in that place. And we were were just walking, praying, bringing the authority of God. And that's what prayer walking is. And I know the prayer team does that before you guys get here. We claim this place as a holy ground for God's work. The Israelites prayer walked, walked the perimeter of the city to claim the ground, claim the land, and to worship. The trumpets that these priests were carrying literally is called uh, jubilee trumpets, jubilee trumpets. And it was often used in temple ceremonial uh, atmosphere of worship setting. Uh, One example is Numbers 10.10, On the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feast and at the beginning of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. What I'm saying is these trumpets were not just military taps, trumpet, bugles to call upon the soldiers, charge. It was, but it was ceremonial. And it was worship setting. And the the blowing of the horns was by the priest to say, this was a spiritual act. So why the priest? Why the trumpets? Well, they were bringing their worship. Act of obedience as worship. But they were following the Lord their God into the place, into their promise, and worship and praise is a spiritual weapon against false idols and demonic spirits. So, let me say this. Worship is a spiritual weapon that brings down strongholds. Worship is a spiritual weapon that brings down strongholds. So, when you look at a trumpet of these priests, it's not just a trumpet for music. It's a jubilee. It's a ceremony. It's a worship setting tool. And worship is the tool that brings down spiritual strongholds. I have a feeling that, not a feeling. I know that having served in many different ministries and churches, people have a different perspective of what worship and praise is to what it is. Meaning, I have seen so many times where people consider it an appetizer before the main meal, like the sermon. It is something that we do to prepare ourselves so that we can hear the message, and that's like the main course. People are not late to the sermon, but they'll be late to praise, worship. Why? Because they look at it as a secondary. But I'm telling you, if you have strongholds in your life, you want breakthrough in your life, you praise, you worship God. There is power when we worship God. If you're having problems in your marriage, worship God and see what he's going to do. Your co-worker come against you and you are like, oh, irked. Someone cuts you off. Praise the Lord and see what happens. The others might, anyway, I'm not going to what it could be, but it will change you. Because worship changes the atmosphere you are in and of the setting because it invites the Lord. And I, in one of my sermons last year, and you guys remember this, I did an extensive on what worship was. And we talked about faith. When we worship, we are coming into agreement with the heavens. What's happening in the heavens? The angels and the elders are constantly for all eternity worshiping the Lord because that's who he is and he is all deserving. And when we worship, we're coming into agreement with the heavens. When we're coming into agreement with the heavens, the heaven comes down. And how many of you guys know what? when you worship, you have entered into the presence of the heavens? You guys know what I'm talking about? I I know in the the resting place, uh, people talk about soaking in his presence. And you and I know what that means, if you know what that means. But I know I've been to other churches who have no idea what that means because they look at praise as something of orthodox uh, something religious something that you follow along but there was no spirit behind it there was no power behind it but when you are worshiping with the heavens and they're coming into agreement and the spirit of god comes you get lost all of a sudden you you see the heavens or you lose your sight and you're like, you, you close your eyes and you see God. You see the visions that he gives you and you see the, the prophetic of what God is leading you into or the understanding or the discernment. I mean, I can go on. But it is through the times of the praise and the worship that God has in, allowed me to enter into his presence. And like, oh my gosh, I didn't want to get up. But there were times I couldn't get up. It's because of his presence was so thick. And I'm saying worship breaks down strongholds. There is power when we come into agreement with the heavens. And I have seen power of worship. And I've shared this this story with you before, and if you've heard me say it, uh, bear with me. But I don't know any other example that demonstrated the power of worship breaking down strongholds. But I was on a mission trip in Thailand, and the pastor of this ministry, House of Blessing, had asked us to lead a revival meeting. And we're like, what's a revival meeting? Because I was in my young 30s, before God called or confirmed my call to ministry, none of us were pastors or professional Christians, right? We were just on a mission trip and just wanted to serve. That's where we were. And this pastor says, hey, you know, lead a revival. And we're like, uh, we prayed. What are we supposed to do, God? And God said, don't worry. I will show up. But what does that mean? We still have to get a program going. <laughs> right? And so we had our praise song. Somebody volunteered for um, a testimony and do a communion at the end. we're like, we don't know. Nobody's authorized to give a sermon or anything like that. We do what we know. All God said was, don't worry, I will show up. So 95 students, and this is sort of like a foster care setting, but the ministry was to save these girls who would have been sold into likelihood of sex trade in Thailand. Okay, so it's a really bad problem, but if you're in a really poor mountainous village The parents didn't have money to even send you to middle school. And if you didn't have the education or the job in these mountain places, the temptation to be working in the city for higher pay was really great. And so this ministry grew from the reputation of saving these girls from the streets. Ninety-five girls. And we were leading them in praise in these English songs that they could barely say themselves. But as we sang that first song, and maybe you know what I'm talking about, the spirit of God started coming. And you felt it. You felt the tangible presence. He came. And I said, thank you, Lord. You came. As soon as I said that, two girls in front, I was in the back of the room, but two girls in the front, two girls behind me in the back, dropped to the ground screaming, screaming, and realized there was a manifestation of the demonic spirits coming out. When the Holy Spirit came, the evil, unclean spirit could not handle the presence of the holy God in that room. Because it was very tangible. Oh, God, you're here. And soon, boom. Manifestation of the demonic spirits came out. And they're screaming. We immediately uh, were told to bring these girls to different places in campus, different dormitories, and we were ministering. We were trying to cast it out. Hmm. That was an experience in itself. But for hours, we were trying to do everything that we knew, the unprofessional Christians knew, get out in Jesus' name. Get out in Jesus' We're screaming, get out in Jesus' name. It still, it would tell us its name. It would tell us how it got in. It would tell us what spirit, what abyss, like how many demons were in that girl. Crazy stories. It would have a conversation with us, but it refused to leave. And it reminded me of the story when the disciples couldn't cast out demons and it's like, Jesus, we couldn't cast it out. Jesus, will you take the handle? And it's like it requires fasting and praying and all that. Um I was near hopelessness of trying to get this demon out. I said, What is its weakness? Military strategy, right? Strategic. What is its weakness? I said Soon as we began worshiping, the demon manifested. It couldn't handle it. So, after trying all these other techniques, we just surrounded the girl. Our worship leader grabbed her guitar and we just sang to the Lord. And the girl, in the demonic voice, plugged her ears, screamed, screamed, and begged us, please stop, please stop. It burns. It burns. I can tell you, we didn't sound that bad. The demon couldn't understand what we were saying. Okay? We were singing in English. But she was saying, please stop. It burns. It burns. I thought we sounded great. Anyways. What I'm saying is, there was power in worship. When we were worshiping the lord we were coming into the heavens and the heaven came down and the demonic spirit couldn't handle what was happening and i share that to say you have authority in worship when you worship the lord when you praise the lord there is authority that brings down strongholds at the shout at the trumpets at the shout of the people the walls came down flat And I believe it was uh, Hebrews 11.30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This was a spiritual act. This was an act of faith that these warriors walked around because they had spiritual weapons and it was a spiritual warfare. This walk around Jericho, this was an act of obedience and an act of faith that broke down the stronghold of Jericho. And they were annihilated. And it was a part of God's judgment. I'm not going to go into details and debate you of, oh, but that means so mean, you know, to kill innocent people. And believe me, I'm in agreement with you. But at the same time, there's going to be a time when God's going to judge. When men, women, and children who don't know God will be judged. It's not that it's unfair. It is fair when God has given his only son to die on the cross for our sins, to pay, to atone, to make a way for the heavens. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is receive. There will come a time when God will judge, and he is just prolonging that. And just as the Lord prolonged the judgment on Canaan, when he prophesied to Abraham, there's going to be a time when your sons, your children, your descendants after fourth generation will come back to this land, the land of Canaan, and and I will judge. And that time was in this moment. But let me close with this thought. Two things we learn from Joshua. One, obedience and worship. Obedience and worship. As an, again, as an American church, I think that obedience is something that we don't know. But it's a willful worship of submitting your will under the authority of God. That's willful obedience. Not that you have to, but if you say you love the Lord, you should. Otherwise, you'll break the heart of your Lord if you say you love him and do the exact opposite of what he wants you to do. And the other, the power of spiritual warfare, the power of worship. You have more authority than you think that you know. That song, Champion, you know, that's my personal testimony. When I first heard that song, that was my testimony. The first chorus, you know, I have a hard time remembering the chorus, but ah, I do have the lyrics here because of Kylie. Let me just remind you. Verse 1, that says, I tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what you don't deserve and you take the broken things and raise them to glory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won. I am who you say I am. He, God says you are a champion. God says you are my sons and daughters with his heirs and co-heirs with Christ. You are mine. I am your father. And you have the authority of Jesus in you. You crown me with confidence. I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all. And this is the bridge that just breaks me every time. And sometimes in my personal worship, I just repeat this bridge. And it's prophetic. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall come crashing down. I have the authority. Jesus has given me. When I open my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I have the authority. Jesus has given man you repeat that over and over and see what the Lord's gonna do in your heart. You have- Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.